Have you uh, have you been up for have you been up for a re how do they say that re up or a renewal an upgrade Have you been on one of those lately I'm getting all kinds of stuff from my carrier You're due You're due Oh how we want to give you some stuff They want to give me it's it's all free Look what we're going to give you and and when when I get ready to do that um, They'll they'll uh, they'll send me about an eighty six page of small print. We call it the fine print. When was, it, hey, when was the last time you read that? When you when you signed up for your next phone contract? When's the last time you read that? Do, do you read it? You're a math you're a math guy. You got to read it. Uh, you know sometimes there's stuff in there, uh, and, and kids maybe you don't read yours yet. You just say. Uh, Mom, Dad, I broke my screen. Can I get another one sometimes? Or you just go, guess I'm going to have to be looking at a broken screen for a long time, right? Until the contract's up or whatever. But, but eventually you'll be reading your contracts. Or maybe you won't. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Sometimes in those contracts, there's stuff in there that means that you're going to... It's a little different than what the commercial says. The commercial tells you what kind of coverage you're going to get and what kind of really cool new phone you're going to get, and uh, how, how uh, reliable the network is, and how much data you get to use. It's unlimited. Uh, all those things. But in the fine print, it'll usually tell you that there's a few more things that you're going to need to know about your contract if you read them. Sometimes we just click and say, move along. Give me my new phone. Tell me my new price, and I'll add another 50 bucks to it, and that'll probably be about right. Sometimes scripture that is that way. We like the part that says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We like the grace part. I don't know about you. I love the grace part. Don't you love the grace part? You know, when I don't get it right, God's got this. He's got me figured out. He knows what I'm about. And he speaks to me and all those things. We like that part, the love. Oh, the love of God. I love the love of God. Don't you love the love of God? I'm not being facetious. We love that part. We like that part. That that in his infinite wisdom and mercy, he looked down upon the whole world and he saw me. I don't know if that blows your mind a little bit, but he saw you, he saw me individually. Uh, I don't know how that works. I'm not God. And, but he saw me and he chose me. He chose you. He looked at you and said, yep, even though you're going to have some freckles and even though you're going to, and it's going to get a little thin at times and uh, all the different changes in life that occurs, all those things, he looked down and said, I don't care about all that. I, wanna, I want this person. And he invited us into a relationship. We love that part. But you know what? There's some parts that we find in God's word that aren't all about that. They're harder. They're more of a challenge. The kinds that when it comes up on this date, I don't choose it because I think, well, the people need a good spanking today. I think I'll talk about this. Uh, It just comes up in the lectionary. We kind of follow a lectionary. It kind of gives us our scripture layout for each week. It's a long one today. We won't read the whole thing. But it it shares what a disciple is going to be all about. It shares what it's going to mean to follow Christ, to be a a crossroad follower of Jesus Christ. It's, It's not all about just grace. 
grace, all about just love, all about just the amazing thought that Jesus sent as God's son to die on the cross for my sin to give me eternal life one day. It's not just that. It gives us more of what we need to look at in the fine print. Maybe page uh, 82 of 87 pages of fine print that we need to look at sometimes and say, what is it that God expects of me? What is he calling me to Maxine Dunham, t- Dunham tells about a Peanuts car- uh, cartoon. You know, when we were really young, some of us, we used to grab our dad's paper and we'd open it and there were funnies in there. Uh, they, they were, uh, when I was really little, I didn't really read them. My dad would open them up out of the Orange County Register. And then when I was a kid, I would, I would uh, do the independent press telegram out of Long Beach. Uh, I, I ran a paper route in Westminster. And on Sundays, it would have, they were heavy and thick, and they would have the funnies in there. I didn't read a lot, but my dad read them, and he loved the, the Peanuts cartoon. And in this one, we find Lucy. She's that bossy, that assertive, always taking control character, and she's playing her role as a psychiatrist. She's there with her, you, maybe you've seen it before, with her little uh, made-up uh, little place that she sits behind. At the top, it said, uh, psychiatry, five cents. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that's about what it's worth, right? You know, I don't know. I, maybe not. It's, it might be more valuable than that. But uh, down at the bottom, it says the doctor is in. And poor Charlie is sitting there looking at Lucy, kind of a blank stare. And Lucy has some things to share with, with uh, Charlie Brown. And she says this. She says, Charlie, your life is like a house. And in the next frame, she says as she reflects, you want your house to have a solid foundation, don't you? I mean, you would want that, right? If you're going to build something, you want a saw. Come on. What are we going to put a skyscraper? It's got to have a solid foundation, and there's a whole lot of work that goes in to, to making those foundations solid. Charlie Brown has that blank stare on his, in his eyes, and Lucy says, well, of course you do. <laughs> she answers for him. She does that. And, and Charlie Brown, he's still being silent, and he says nothing. And then in the fourth frame, psychiatrist Lucy says, so don't build your house on the sand. Kind of want to get down to bedrock, don't we? Want to get down to something solid, something that we can anchor to. She says, don't build it on the sand. And right about then, a big wind comes up, and it blows Lucy's psychiatrist booth down. And then we find Lucy in her final frame in the rubble, and she's saying, and don't use cheap nails. Don't use cheap nails. You know, you see, we, we don't want to use cheap nails when we're building a house. Or, or a life, as we're building a life for that matter. Our question for this day is, what does it look like to live a life for Jesus Christ? What, what, to, to be a disciple of Jesus. We use those terms, a follower uh, of Christ. What does it look like? What, 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 is, what would it take for each of us to look back over our lives and say this, I feel good about the, what road I've traveled on for God after all these years, or, or after last year, after that year, I feel good about last year, the way that I've traveled for God. My life has not been wasted. My life has, been a, has had purpose and has fulfilled God's plan for me. What would it look like to be able to say that? Back in uh, 1991, bestseller author Charles Gibbons, um, he was kind of a financial guy, and he and a few members of his team, his organization, they traveled to Papua New Guinea, and, and there, was, uh, there are many 
people groups in Papua New Guinea that, are, that, that don't have much contact with the world. Some of the groups had, that they met had never even seen a white person and had never even had a wheel. They, they don't even have wheels. They, they, how do they get where they're going? They, they, they walk. They walk where they're going. They don't even have a wheel. They don't have any kind of cars or bicycles, nothing. There weren't any forms of technology. The, the, the fighting among the various indigenous groups made travel really difficult, so many of the people who lived in that part of the area, they, they never had traveled outside of where they were born and, and grew up. They've never been outside of their own village. Gibbons and his associates, they stayed uh, high atop a small village on Mount Gilloway. It's the second highest mountain in Papua New Guinea. And, and with 700 different languages spoken there in Papua New Guinea, each village required an interpreter that would speak kind of a pigeon, and that's not like the bird, just a pigeon, P-I-D-G-E-N, G-I-N, that is, uh, and it's made up of German and English, and, and they just had these people that could speak uh, and, and translate for him and his associates. It was through that interpreter that, that Gibbon, Gibbons was able to ask a few questions. These are really interesting. He, he, he asked this, what do you want for your children? He asked those that were in that village, what are your dreams and goals in life? And, and what he discovered, he discovered that he, these people, they were a primitive group that were isolated in, in their remote villages in a remote part of the world. He discovered that they had the same dreams and fears and desires that people from his own neighborhood had. They all wanted a good life. How many want a good life? Don't you? I, I want a good life. You have to live in... In Nebraska, to live the really good life, that's what it says on the sign when you enter in. Nebraska, the good life. I mean, how many want a good life? They wanted to believe in a good afterlife. They wanted to believe that there was something beyond this life that was a good thing. They, they wanted their children to do better than they had done. We would probably, all of us parents, we'd want that. We want our kids to do better than, we, than we've done. They, they wanted to be secure uh, in, in the form of good sweet potato crops. That's probably not on our list, but it was on their list to have good sweet potato crops and more pigs. Maybe at your house, maybe just one, maybe not a lot, but they wanted more pigs. That was a status thing for them. That, that It was like having a couple Cadillacs in the garage. If they had numerous pigs... You see, pigs were measured a, a wealth, a measure of wealth in their village. They also wanted to travel more and see the outside world that they, they hadn't seen. They wanted status in their village, and they wanted to get this peace of mind. They didn't have any of these or these or challenging or difficult things, cars with transmissions that break down. And they didn't have any of that, but they wanted peace. And Gibbons could tell from listening to the people that they were essentially no different from anyone we might meet on any street in America today. What is it that we desire in life? What would it take for each of us to say about the lives, our lives, that life was really, had been, had been fulfilling to us? Maybe up to this point, or after looking over a good portion of our lives, to be able to say life has, was really fulfilling. What would it take for us to say that our lives were full, filled full, totally satisfied, having lived on the cross road 
the crossroad for Christ. You see, we all, for the most part, we have our basic needs met. We know we're going to finish this particular service. We're going to jump in a van. We're probably going to stop at some, I don't know, I'm sure he's got an idea. Maybe it's McDonald's. Maybe it's something more interesting than that. And you're going to have something to eat today. You know that you're going to end up somewhere where you're going to put up a tent. While we sleep in our beds, you're going to put up a tent. And it's going to be a great time. You're going to have an enjoyable time and do some water fun stuff and all that. Most of us are going to maybe go to lunch and we, if, if something's open or, and we'll probably have to wear a mask until we sit down or whatever it takes. But, but we, we kind of know what's coming. We kind of know what's going to hit our life today. We, we, we're now more focused on some of the mid-range maybe, some of the mid-range things of life of our life, the needs. We, we desire maybe approval from our peers, maybe some, a little bit of status, some material success. But think of it, how sad would it be if we never look beyond this, this mid-range, this comfortable life, whatever it might be. I know we have goals that go beyond just the immediate comfort, but, you know, hey, the car's working and we're making a house payment, we got enough food, and just all those normal things. What if that's all that it ended up being, that we look, we'd never look beyond that mid-range, to the pinnacle of personal fulfillment. How sad would it be if, 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 if we to work our entire lives to get ahead and to only find that we had missed the highest call in God's kingdom as a servant? That's not what we were thinking, right? <laughs> wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. That's the highest? Yes, the highest call in God's kingdom as servant. Reading from the Word today, I would direct you to Matthew 10. I'm not going to read, the, I'm going to paraphrase the first part of it. We'll pick it up around verse 21. But Jesus, he summoned his disciples. Gather around, gang. I got something I got to tell you. <laughs> Anytime somebody tries to gather you and say, I got something I got to tell you, get ready. And they would have had to get ready because he's sending them out specifically to the lost, to those of the house of Israel. And Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I want you to go do something. Go preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'd ask you this morning, do you believe that the kingdom of heaven is more at hand today than it was the day that he shared it with them? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is with us. It has come. It is in, in who Jesus Christ is, and he is with us today, and it's more prevalent even today than it was then. And he says, you're going to go and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He tells him to go do a few things. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Who's signing up today? On that one. I mean, that's what he wants us to, to go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. You see, they're to be about giving. They're to be about giving out of their lives freely as they themselves have been given to. You say, why don't we do that today? Well, we can do that today. Well, how? We give ourselves. We have to, it's not a power that we run around and say, let me pray over you, brother. <laughs> I say, get. Get away from me, man. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to pray for me. But if we really want to be about the kingdom of heaven, it is about going and serving, giving of ourselves, handing ourselves over, laying ourselves down for the sake of others. That's really what the servant is there to do. So they're to be about those things. Jesus tells them that they won't be needing to acquire a lot of stuff. No need for gold. 
Not going to need silver or copper for money. You won't need that. No IRAs, no health care plans, no dream homes and laptops and travel trailers, all the things that we really we love. We, they, they, they're supposed to help us for the most part. You see, worthy households will receive peace. The, the worthy households will receive peace from the disciples, from their greeting. And if, they're, if they are not received, the disciples, if they're not received, whoever does not heed their words, well, they'll, they're to just shake it off. Shake the dust off of their feet, Jesus says, for it'll be worse for those that refuse than those of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, that there's a judgment for those who do not receive them and their message. That's up to God. That's not up to us. When they don't, he says, just shake it off. Dust off your feet. Move on. Jesus tells them that they're being sent out. He starts getting kind of specific. They're going to be sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You ever met a wolf? They're out there. He said they should be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Hmm. Shrewd as serpents. Serpents and innocent as doves. As they proclaim, they will be rounded up. These are the disciples. As they proclaim, they'll be rounded up. They'll be brought to the courts, the synagogues, and they will be given ice cream. And no. No, no, no. They will be beaten. They will be beaten. That's what the word says. And as Chris told us last week, we're going to need to have a, an answer. We're going to need an answer. But, he says, they, the disciples, and we as followers of Jesus should not worry or become anxious. For the Holy Spirit, he says, will give us the words in the hour that we are to speak. You see, it won't be uh, us speaking. It won't be our own strength or intellect that the words come forth from, but the Spirit of God living in and through our lives, speaking through us. And we pick it up at verse 21. It says, it goes on. It's, it's not a happy place here. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child and the children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, he says, flee to the next for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple, he says, is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of the household? If the leaders called that, how much more will they malign those that are of the household? He says, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not become known. Uh, when I tell you what I tell you in darkness, he says, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell are not two sparrows, he says, just little birds out there for sold for one cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, he says, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, he says, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. 
He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. This is a challenging set of verses here. Do not think that we love, don't you love Christmas? I like Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I like peace. I like comfort. I like presence. You do too. I like Easter. Holy Week is challenging, but I love that it ends on Easter because Easter's about victory and overcoming death in the grave. We like those concepts. He says here, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Hmm. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Verse 37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What kind of God is this? Then he says in, in 38, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He's kind of, he's helping us get there because it sounds like, I'm not supposed to hate, am I? I'm not supposed to be against my brothers or sisters, against my parents. He, he's, he's helping us here. We can't love our fathers and mothers and our siblings or anything else in this world above who he is in our life, above who Christ is in our life. I have to say that because it's a confusing message at times. He says, he who receives me and who receives me receives who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And he says, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones a cup of cold water, to drink, truly I say to you, he or she shall not lose his or her reward. This the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you. It's harder sometimes. Some of your words speak peace. Some of your words speak victory. And then some of your words speak this great challenge. Lord, you're giving us what it takes to be a true disciple. And it's hard. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would illuminate to us what you're trying to say to each of us, Lord. And we will say thanks be to God for your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what an encouraging word. You know? I mean, can you just see the signs posted on, on Indeed or, you know, some kind of job site? Hey, going to be a lot of pain. People going to hate you. Uh, it's not going to go good for you. They're going to drag you places. You're going to be against your family and against your loved ones. So get ready. We'd like you to sign up and come work for us. I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, Jesus, there's better ways to kind of soft sell stuff. You know, if you'll just sign up here, you'll get the free phone and the unlimited data and nice use of Wi-Fi and all the things that are going to be free. But we know we've experienced this, have we not? It ain't free. There's nothing really free. Somebody once said that air is free, but they begin to tax it when we put up all the windmills.
Not a very encouraging word. I don't know anybody that wants to sign up for this. I mean, if you're looking to attract people to your organization, you might want to soften the requirements, Lord. But not Jesus, nope. He tells it straight. Being a servant, following after this teacher is going to be a crossroad experience. I'll never forget while ministering in Topeka, did that for 20 years out there, and somewhere right around the middle uh, of my tenure there, we had grown to a point where we were really challenged with our small groups, with our life groups. It was time that we figure out how we get more people into smaller situations because there's a lot of voices that get lost in the large crowd. And, and so we begin to dialogue as a staff about that and think about what can we do in order to help people move towards uh, focus groups, uh, life, life groups. And, and uh, after we've surveyed our congregation, we, we found that, wow, we're kind of tapped out a little bit on our leadership. I mean, what's it, we need more leaders, but it's going to take time. We need groups now. And, and so we decided to start making some videos. And, and so we made some videos from our pastor's messages and we created booklets and you could pick up your booklet and you could just meet at someone's house. And I remember how we kind of set our ad forward. Here's how we decided to see if there's anybody out there that wants to be a leader of a small group. Here's what we said. If you have a DVD player and can press play, you can be a small group leader. Now, some of the people went, uh, I only have a VHS. We said, we'll make those for you too, because it was back that far, and we still had some VHS. If you can press play on a DVD, if you know how to open your DVD, or if you have a grandchild that can show you how to open your DVD player and put one in, you can be a leader of a small group. In hindsight, I believe that we lowered the bar a little too far. It's not to take away from those that served that way, but we can see in this morning's text that Jesus is pulling no punches. He's given it to us straight. It's not a small push and play activity. Serving the Lord, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not for the faint of heart. We don't don't slide in under the radar to serve Jesus Jesus is telling us that this thing's going to be hard. We don't like that. We don't mind working hard as Americans, but we don't like it to be hard. Don't, I mean, do you gravitate towards things that are difficult or challenging? Or is that your norm? Like, I'm going to, I see that's got a problem. I'm going to go right after that. I, I got to tell you and be honest, I try to go around some of that. I, I, if it's going to face me and I'm going to deal with it, but I, I don't like the pain. I don't run towards the pain. Maybe some people do. Jesus is telling us it's going to be hard. It'll happen at a crossroad of life. It's not a walk in the park, this following Jesus. It's not owning a DVD player and having a group every other week or so and pushing play. You know, somebody in your small group might call you at 2 in the morning and say, "I I need you. You won't be able to say, hey, man, catch me at 9 a.m. I'll be right there. Sometimes you got to go at 1 in the morning and stay till 7 or 8. 
Following Jesus will change our lives. It will bring tremendous challenges to our lives, our jobs and families and our way of life. It, it will. We will be alienated from those that we love. Our own kin will turn on us. We will be estranged from others, brothers against brothers and fathers against children, kids rising up against parents. Jesus says that we will be hated because of his name. You see, Jesus tells us that a disciple is not above his teacher. If we're going to be a disciple, a follower, that we're not above our teacher nor a slave above our master, how could we think that we as his followers at some point would not experience exactly what Jesus is expressing to his disciples? Except that we live in a culture where up until kind of recently, for, for most, we have experienced mostly peace in our lives. We have lived and grown up in a society with rights and freedoms and pizza however you like it. Cheese? Meat lovers? Veggie? What was that crust the other day? Cauliflower crust. No. If I'm having pizza, I'm having pizza. Cauliflower crust. I, eh. mm, no, no. So we live in a culture where we can have it however we want it. So what does it look like? Many, even in Christendom today, though, have become the push-play on the DVD type of people. And in today's text, we see a side of Jesus that we seldom see. The Prince of Peace is the one who disturbs the peace. He comes not holding an olive branch of peace, but a sword, which means fighting. Whether, uh, wherever Jesus goes, controversy is stirred up. He turns values upside down. He challenges sinful ways. He pits members of family one against the other as they face the challenge of discipleship. How can we account for this, this God that loves It is the result of Jesus' taking the crossroad of life. And if we follow him, if we are to be true followers of Jesus on this road, we can expect some of the same. This leads us to the cost of discipleship. Can we afford to be Christian in our day? Just take stock in our own lives, our own personalities, how we approach being a disciple of Jesus. Can we afford it? You say, well, how much? Everything, all of it. Do we want to pay the price of walking on this crossroad of life? Uh, this morning, Jesus calls us to follow him on this crossroad. Uh, what, what is this road, and what does it take to travel on this road uh, uh, through life? You see, the crossroad of life is number one. It's a call to discipline. Ew. I just like to kind of make my way through life. That was me, man. <laughs> I've, just, I've just got my six shooters on it. Ba-ding, you know, I just wherever I got, I was just kind of early on running through life, taking no prisoners, just having my time, and, and it wasn't going well. You remember? And Lynn's like, I ain't saying nothing. It, it wasn't. There comes a time when we have to discipline ourselves the crossroad of life is the road of discipline. In our text, Jesus says, he who loves father, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, but I like my mom and dad. 
I love my mom and dad. But he says, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. We as crossroad followers, we dis discipline our lives in Christ by putting Jesus first. First and foremost above everything else in our life. Everything else becomes secondary to our love for God, for our love for Christ. Nothing in our lives can hold a place above our Savior. It's a call to discipline. Number two, it's a, it's a road of hardship. Nobody likes to talk about that. I like it when it's easy and simple and, and, and full of God's grace and all of his promises, but it's a road of hardship. You see, the crossroad of life, it's a hard road. Jesus says, he who does not take up his or her cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The Christian way of life is the cross way. The cross way. The cross way is a hard way. The cross of Jesus is rough and it's challenging. It means nails and, and, a, and a thrust of a spear. The cross calls for a sense of forsakenness and loneliness and agony and pain. The cross sheds drops of one's own blood. This is not a push-play on the DVD kind of life. This is a disciplined crossroad, a hard road. And it's also, number three, it's a road of sacrifice. The crossroad life is a road of sacrifice. It's brought out by Jesus in the text when he said, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The word sacrifice is another difficult word along with hardship. Ugh. Certainly we have some sacrifices that we'll make, but how far do we go with that? He says all the way. Verse 39, he says, he who has found, life, found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You see, followers of Jesus are those who are sacrificing themselves for others. Sacrificing themselves for laying our lives down for those that are in front of us. Disciples, they go out of their way, out of their own comfort zones to bring the life-giving message and the good news of, of Jesus to others. We live in a very self-centered time in our history. Hey, I don't like that statue. I think I'll yank it down. Because that's how I feel. It's a self-centered society that we're living in right now. But those who are called by his name lay themselves down for others following and serving Christ is a crossroad of sacrifice. But number four, it's a road of adventure. It's an adventurous road to follow after Jesus. Follow me is a crossroad of adventure. The Jesus road is one, that it's exciting because when we follow him, we never know what's next. We have to ask the Spirit of God, what would you have me do today? Who are you bringing me across paths with today? How would you like me to speak in that circumstance today? It's an exciting, adventurous life that he calls us into. We as followers, we, we, we risk our, our, our lives at times. There are real dangers ahead. There are many unknowns. This is one thing that makes life with Christ so exciting. Because he says, because you believe in me and you want to be near me, we follow him regardless of what may come. And when we walk after him as he leads, 
we give up our security and our own comfort, our own desires, my own needs and my own wants, my own accounts, my own savings, my own accumulating, and I give towards others. We let go of the easy life, the good life. This following of Jesus is the crossroad of life. It's the road that Christ took, the road Christians are called to take. But, but why take this road of the cross? Why, why not live at ease with all the, the rest who are working for pleasure and comfort? Why, why step over that line? You see, at the end of today's text, Jesus says that his disciples will not lose his reward. Could, could that be the reason, though, only? on the crossroad journey that we're on. If there is a reward, the only one we would be interested in is the one expressed by Wilhelm Lohi when he says this. He says, and what is my reward? He asked the question, what is my reward? I serve, he says, he makes a, a, a statement. He asked the question and then he makes a statement. He says, what is my reward? He says in this statement, I serve neither for reward nor thanks, but out of gratitude and love. My reward is that I am permitted to serve. Wow, how do you get there? My reward is that I'm permitted to serve that one day in the infinite wisdom of God as he created all things and made the beauty of this world that he, and this universe, he looked down and he saw you. Just put your name in there. He saw your face. He saw who you were and he said, I want you. I want you. I want to have a relationship with you. I choose you. Sometimes we think we, we found him. When did you find the Lord? Oh, I found him back in 78. Oh, that's a long time ago, right? A long time ago. Uh, but but no, I didn't find him. He chose me. He, he looked at me and said, I want you, Rob. So from that, I serve neither for rewards nor thanks, but out of gratitude and love. And my reward is that I'm permitted to serve him, to love him, to, to pour myself out for him. How do you think the, the other disciples, how do you think they were able to endure what they endured? Crucified upside down, stoned to death. What's your cross today? Are you his disciple? Not a push play on the DVD type of disciple, but one who serves the Lord with gladness. One who takes up his or her cross and follows. The list of negatives is difficult. It's troubling and challenging, but, but the, the reward is amazing. The reward is fantastic. People are thirsty in this day that we live. Verse 42 says, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a, cold, a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his or her reward. One community said it like this, because they are accepting the gospel announced by God's messengers, all those who offer physical or material help to God's people will receive a spiritual reward. Not placing anything above who Christ is in our lives. Everything becomes secondary. I just say, hey, Tines, let's travel the cross road and bring a cool drink to those who are thirsty. 
Choose today to be a follower. I mean a follower, not of the crowd, not of the friends, not all those who are hanging out at the rafting place, not those at work, not those at the store, wherever I like to do the things I like to do, but following after Jesus, a follower of his, to be a disciple of Christ is to be a servant of the Lord, pouring ourselves out for the the sake of his kingdom. Amen? Let's stand together.